hearts. We come and we invite you into this place. We invite you into our hearts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, this morning, as we explore uh, who you are in your triune nature, Lord, reveal to us who you are. You have revealed to us through your Son. You've revealed to us who you are through your Spirit, through your Word. And Lord, may this morning my words be your words that you might continue to reveal yourself this morning. God, we thank you for this church and the ministry of this church. We thank you for the bodies uh, of believers, both in this room and at home. And we ask that you strengthen and support each and every one of us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Today is on the church calendar, a day uh, that I've talked about before. You may or may not remember, uh, today is Trinity Sunday. Uh, as the little card that I, I write every week, I don't know if you ever read the, uh, the, the sermon blurb or not. Uh, I almost wrote something fake to see if you would catch it. Uh, anyway, uh, on it, uh, the idea of the Trinity is probably something that for many of you it seems uh, maybe a little too abstract, a little too, too theological, and I, I'm, I'm just not interested in going down some of those avenues. I want to try to make it as personal uh, as possible. Uh, I want to uh, tell you why this actually does matter to us this morning. Uh, and to get into it, though, uh, I want to kind of tell a story that I know I've said before, uh, but I tell stories, and you, you might remember some of them and others not, uh, so stick with me. Uh, some of you surely have not heard this. I remember living uh, in Alabama. It was probably this time of year. It might have been even like a Trinity Sunday that I uh, first said this, and uh, I uh, was playing with my kids out back, and we were digging up um, you know, soil, uh, and, and we were playing with worms is what we were doing. And I remember uh, thinking very specifically, like, uh, boy, I wonder what this worm thinks about us humans, you know, uh, and, and what could this worm possibly be thinking about me right now? And in what way could uh, this worm possibly understand uh, the complexity of human life, Right? Um, I bring this to you today because, in essence, this is what we're doing, right? When we talk about God, and I mean in any fashion, uh, in any fashion, uh, we are talking about mystery. We are talking about something that is far beyond any human comprehension. We should always remember this. Uh, It just so happens, and this is why I even brought the story back, I found this lovely quote uh, by John Wesley uh, that uh, he, he and I must be, you know, sinking here because he says, uh, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. This is what we're talking about this morning, the triune God. We are trying to comprehend the incomprehensible. And so we start with mystery, we will end with mystery, But the hope is that along the way and along this journey, that the lights come up a little bit and we understand uh, a little more than we did before. 
I mentioned that today is Trinity Sunday on the calendar, the church calendar. It always falls the week after Pentecost, which is fitting, which falls itself seven weeks after the resurrection and Easter Sunday. And what this all builds to is something perfectly appropriate, which is the person uh, and work and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ reveals to us who God is. And we spend seven weeks talking about this and understanding God in light of the death and resurrection of Christ, right? And we have this kind of portal or window into the nature of the God of the universe. And then, if that's not good enough, we get a week of Pentecost, where the Spirit of God is not only poured out uh, on them 2,000 years ago, but it is poured out on us as well. And we begin to understand God uh, through God's Spirit. And so then today, all of this sets us up to ask the question, who is God? And we've already got weeks and weeks and weeks in the hopper of understanding who this God is that we are serving. And I think that Christianity answers this question in a unique way that no other world religion even tries to or comes close to getting at. And namely, Christians are certainly the only ones who have a triune understanding of God. One being, three persons. One being, three persons. This is what the church has always said. One and three. There's a variety of reasons why the Trinity came to be the Trinity. Even though the word itself doesn't appear in our scriptures, the ideas of it and the lived experience of the early church, they testify to it. And I think, and what I want to get to today, is we even see little glimpses of it in the Old Testament. Very specifically, I want to spend all of our time in the book of Proverbs today, Proverbs chapter 8. So go ahead and start turning there. The early church, as they were developing their understanding of the Trinity and who God is, answering this big question, they most certainly used Proverbs 8 to get at some of an answer. I'll just tell you right off the bat, it's, it's not like clear answers, uh, as in like with super clarity, but it gives us, again, some lights coming on in the room so that we can see a little more clearly than we did before. And as you're turning to Proverbs 8, we read it already. We read, well, anyway, part of it. And if you just remember, the passage itself is about wisdom, and, and wisdom is personified. It's made into a person. And this person speaks. And this person is pre-existent. And this person is there as God is creating the world. And through wisdom, the world itself is created. And some of this should sound super familiar to you if you know your New Testament well. Because we read another passage this morning, this one from John 1, that sounds a whole lot like what's happening in Proverbs 8. And in Proverbs 8, we get wisdom co-creating with God. And in uh, John 1, we get the Word, the Logos. Another translation could be wisdom co-creating with God. And we find that wisdom, or Logos, is 
Jesus in the flesh, right? And so just to read very quickly, stay, stay at Proverbs 8, John 1, 1 through 5 says this, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the wisdom, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made. Creation happens through the logos, the wisdom, and without him was not anything made that was made, and in him was life. And we didn't read this part of Proverbs 8, but the tail end of it all, and I, I will end up reading it, but uh, talks about this choice between life and death. And here, it sure seems like John knows Proverbs 8 really well and is making this connection for us. And he says that in the Logos, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. First John 1, the other books of John, right? So I read John 1 there. First John 1, if you, I have it here, the text, but I'm not going to read because we need to jump into Proverbs already. But at your own leisure... 1 John 1 also talks about the same thing. It too talks about the Word. It too talks about the co-creation uh, with God in the beginning. Paul himself, uh, on, on a different occasion in 1 Corinthians, in Colossians, etc., he calls Christ the wisdom of God. He calls Christ the firstborn of all creation in whom all things were created, Colossians 1.5. The point is this, that our earliest New Testament writer, it wasn't just the early church as they were knocking out the uh, theory of the atonement, it was the earliest church, the, the New Testament writers themselves, who are wrestling with who is Jesus and how does Jesus relate to God, and they make this connection between Jesus and what we find in Proverbs chapter 8 and the person of wisdom. So with that inner, uh, intro, I hope you're there already. Proverbs falls right after Psalms. Let's read it together. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Essentially, everywhere and anywhere you could go in civilized life, wisdom is there, whether you realize it or not, and she's crying out to you. And she says this, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth will the righteous, and there's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. 
Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. The wisdom that is offered to us is of inestimable value, and whatever you might chase after in this life, whether it is gold or or silver or jewels, they cannot compare with the value that we find in wisdom. It doesn't stop there, however, because wisdom dwells elsewhere, too. It says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and and discretion, and the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride, and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech. I hate those things, and I, I have counsel, and I have sound wisdom, and I have insight, and I have have strength. And then she says this, that by me, by wisdom, kings reign, and rulers, they decree, or they, they carve out what is just. At least the good ones do. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, wisdom says. And those who seek after me diligently, well, they find me. And riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Wisdom is calling out to us, to you, and saying, there are these other paths in life. There are many choices your life can go down. Some seem surely expedient, and they're the quick way. Some seem like they they get you to the place where you want to be filled with the gold and the treasures and all of that stuff. Or maybe it's to the place of power. Or maybe it's to being an object of beauty yourself. Whatever it might be. And wisdom cries out and says, seek me. Seek me. And then verse 22. And this is where the creation part comes in. And this is where wisdom, well, wisdom is right there at the beginning of it all. And it says that the Lord, Yahweh, possessed me at the beginning of his work. And if you've got a different translation out there, it's possible. Yours doesn't say possessed me, but says something like begat me, or birthed me, or made me. Or There's all sorts of ways to, to translate this strange Hebrew word here. But the idea is this, is that right there at the beginning, the first the, uh, the, the, uh, the begotten child of, of God is right here at the beginning of God's work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago, I was set up at the first. Before the beginning of the earth, 
before the first thing is laid, basically, before there's any sorts of objects out in the world, the world is created with the grain of wisdom. And if you can find the grain of wisdom and live according to it, the book of Proverbs tells us, you will be a much better person for it, you will be a much happier person for it, you will be fulfilled in a way that you uh, uh, will not be if you're living against the grain of nature, against the grain of wisdom. Her poem goes on. She says, When there were no depths, I was brought forth. And when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, of the, of the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above and established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned uh, to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress, he commanded, and then he marked out. Same word that those rulers use. They decree and they carve out the foundations of the earth. And here, wisdom is carving out the very nature of this universe. And then, I, I was beside him like a master workman. I love that phrase. Wisdom, wisdom as a master workman. And I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always. And then wisdom says... Rejoicing in his inhabited world. Rejoicing in the creation itself. The grandeur of it and the beauty of it and the wonderful thing that is our lives. That is this creation. And not just that, but delighting, delighting in the children of man in you, and in me, and in your children, and in my children, and your brothers and sisters, and parents and grandparents, all of it, delighting in it. And then she concludes this way, now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, the ways of wisdom. Hear instructions and be wise. Don't neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, who lives according to the grain of the universe, who lives in accordance with wisdom, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside the doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me injures himself. And all who hate me love death. My guess is many of us in this room have both found wisdom and found life and sometimes neglected wisdom and found injury.
With Proverbs 8, we get a window into the Trinity, into the Godhead as we find it in the Old Testament. And I want to tell us this morning that there are three things, it's a good Trinitarian number, three things that we should pull out of this about God, which then reflect on you and on me. One, of course, is that God is the creator of all things, something that doesn't really need to be said, but sometimes it needs to be said, and it needs to be brought back to our attention. But not only is God creator of all things, God is co-creator, a co-laborer. As we saw in Proverbs 8, 24 to 30, God and wisdom working hand in hand to create the world the, the master workmen at work in this world, pulling it together according to the ways of wisdom. And just like in, in Genesis 1 and parts of the Psalms, here in Proverbs 8, we get a, a creation that is moving from chaos to order. Chaos into order. And this is what creation is. My guess is it's what most of you do, whether you realize it or not. If you have a profession, this is what you do, hopefully, on a daily or weekly basis. You take the chaos of your, your life and your, your work, and you try to find order to it. You and I, we too are meant to be creators and to be co-laborers, both with God, but just in the day-to-day -day life of, of the way we live our lives. And we often think of creation and creativity in terms of the arts. And we think of, of the musicians, the wonderful musicians that we have up here, or being uh, musical as a, as a way to express creativity. And it is. We think of, uh, yesterday was a dance festival up here, which was wonderful. And we saw tons of creativity and was beautiful to behold. Or maybe you're a writer or a poet, just like the author of Proverbs here, writing poetry, and this is creativity. But I assure you, if you're none of these things, you are still almost certainly a creator in some sense. The best politicians among us should be and are creative. They help move our social order from chaos to order. And when they do the opposite, when they move us into chaos, we should be asking ourselves if they are doing good work. The best engineers in here are creative. You know this if you're an engineer. You need that creative piece, right? You design solutions to a vast array of technical problems, whether mechanical, engineer, electrical, computer, civil, etc. You know all the engineering fields, right? Aerospace. It requires creativity. A creativity that is given to us from the image of God that we all bear. The best doctors among us are creative. If you don't know this, you should. The best doctors are the creative doctors in diagnosing medical illnesses, in determining the best solutions to illnesses. We've all been to those doctors. It's the ones who can think outside the box and figure out a way forward to solve your medical issues. 
The best lawyers among us are creative as well. Sometimes a little too creative, <laughs> but nevertheless creative. Even the best preachers, and I don't claim to be one, but I assure you the act of preaching on a weekly basis requires creativity. I read in part so that I'm inspired. The inspiration process is an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no doubt, but it's not all that different from some of the inspiration you all experience on a regular basis in your own professions. Students, you all need creativity as well, which is why you're doing weird and wacky school on Thursday. All of this, of course, is done in collaboration. And I would say this, I belonged uh, to the Ivory Tower uh, um, Professors uh, Club for a while, where it seems like those folks are just living on an island somewhere, and many of them are, I know, but they're also, if they're honest, co-laboring. They too are standing on the shoulders of the giants that came before them. They are uh, having conversations with history. And my guess is many of you are as well. Number two, God is both one and three. We know this, but there's an important point here. God is one being, one being, a singularity, and a community of persons. In Proverbs 8, we find wisdom and Yahweh working in tandem. And remember John 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. There's community right there in the beginning of it all. And all of this gets to a word I've used before, but you've forgotten because it's long and nerdy. It's perichoresis. And the idea uh, of perichoresis, I come back to it because I find it powerful. Perichoresis is the mutual indwelling of the Trinity. They, they pour into each other, and they pour out of themselves and into one another, like an M.C. Escher painting is constantly pouring one to the next, into the next, into the next. And this Godhead is inviting you and me into that kind of life, a mutual indwelling, mutual outpouring of our own lives. And the best we get in this life, the best example is of marriage, where two become one, and you have two people, a community, but you have one marriage, and you're trying to work together. And for those of us who are married, we know how hard that can be. But the Trinity has been doing this for eternity, and has managed to figure it out somehow, and is calling us into that. God is one being and a community of persons. Of course, part of this includes self-giving love. Maybe at the heart of it all is self-giving love. When we think of God's nature, when we think of the mystery that is the God of the universe, what do you think of? <laughs> what thought comes to your mind? Like if, you, if you picture God... What do you think of, or who do you think of? The professor asked this question to his class, and 
you know, the kind of typical answers came up, and some of them said things weird like an old man with a white beard floating in the clouds looking down at us, maybe even judging us. And the professor stops and he says, if what you imagine God to be like is anything that contradicts the person of Jesus, then you have the wrong image of God. It's that simple. Jesus came in the flesh, God in the flesh, that he might reveal God in the most stark terms that we possibly can receive. And so the very starting point of who God is, is Jesus himself. And the starting point of who Jesus is, is self-giving love. That's who Jesus is. He gives of himself completely and utterly. God is is one, and God is community. And you and I are invited into this as well. And this is a balancing act. And there's an important part of this balancing act that you must grasp. It is both autonomous, individual, and communal, right? We are singular, but we're also singular. Richard Rohr puts it this way, if the mystery of the Trinity is the template of all reality, what we have in the Trinitarian God is the perfect balance between union and differentiation, between autonomy and mutuality between identity and community. We live in a time and in a place, in a part of the world, where uh, the individuality of life is almost all we think about. It's possible we are about to live through a shift where we are heading back towards some type of communal living where we understand one one another in relationship to a community. I actually hope we do, because we need to find this place. We need to find a place where I am both me and I am us. And you are you, and you are part of something bigger. I think this is what we find when we think of the Trinity. Timothy Keller, uh, and I had it on the screen at one point, says this. He says, if the world was made by a triune God, well then, relationships of love are what life is really all about. Anytime someone says life is really all about, it's worth like, you know, kind of paying attention for a second and asking, is this true? Like, uh, is life really all about this? If the world was made by a triune God, well then relationships of love are what life is really all about. And I think Timothy Keller got it pretty darn close. God's perichoresis, or self-giving love, is a window into our human nature. And a restored version of our humanity will always choose to live into this kind of of connection with one another. Number three. Here. 
God, this is an audacious claim, is a bon vivant. He is a good liver. He lives well. He lives the good life. Let me explain. At the end of Proverbs 8, we find this. For whoever finds me, wisdom says, finds life. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. He who finds me finds life. I want you to stop right now and take about 10 seconds and recall a moment in your life where you were filled with joy and awe or wonder or inspiration, where your heart was full, you felt like it was going to burst. When was that for you? What was that for you? Where was that moment? Who were you with? Was it the birth of a child? Was it your wedding day? When was that? What did that feel like? I'll tell you what it felt like. It felt like life. Life the way life is supposed to be. The good life. Being filled to overflowing. I think this is a window into the bon vivant. The good life. And this is what God is drawing you into. Christ, the Logos, the wisdom, the one there at the creation of it all, is drawing us into life, life lived to the full, life lived eternally, life lived as it was meant to be lived, as we were designed to be living it. And then one final thing, delight. Robert Frost uh, has this lovely little quote I found. Uh, He says, a poem begins in delight and it ends in wisdom. And I take this to mean that the poet, a good poet, usually finds some way to delight us. And then uh, by the end of it all, we realized we have been hit with a profound piece of wisdom. Proverbs 8 begins with wisdom and ends with delight. And then we get hit with some more wisdom after that. In Proverbs 8, 30 and 31, to read it again, it says that wisdom was beside him like a a master workman, and I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always. Notice the joy in all of this, the life in all of this. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Delighting in you and in me. God delights in you. God delights in you. That's good news. Do you see that? Do you believe that? Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there together at the creation of the world, 
a world created in wisdom, in beauty, filled to the full with overflowing life. God, that is what we desire. That is where we want to be. We do not desire the injury or the death or the opposite of wisdom or, or uh, absence from you. We know this, and, and yet, we also know that we choose otherwise. We often don't choose wisdom. We often choose paths that we should not go down. We choose those paths that lead to injury and sometimes even death. God, this morning, fill us with your Spirit. Guide us by your Spirit. Pierce uh, our hearts anew. Rip off those calluses and give us the sensitivity to follow you into a life well lived, into the life that you have designed for us. God, that is our prayer this morning. We give that to you. Amen.